Hello, this is episode 203. Now in this episode, I speak with a building designer who is using the pack process with his residential clients to help improve the design process and the client experience in their project. Now, if you've been a longtime listener of the podcast, you will be very familiar with this building designer as I had him on as a guest in season four of the podcast, which was called Know Your Team. His name is Aaron Wales, and he's always been a big supporter of Undercover Architects, so it's great to have him back here again as a guest. Now, this is the third episode that I'm doing about the PAC process or the paid as consultant process. So if you haven't listened to episodes 201 or 202, be sure to do that now because this episode will make a lot more sense with that background information. Remember, our PAC process is where you bring a builder on to uh, your design team to be paid as a consultant during the pre-construction phase. So they become a collaborative member of your design team. They work alongside you and your chosen designer or architect, and they provide input on cost and buildability as your design develops and gets resolved. Aaron has some great insights to share about how he sees this process working for homeowners in real life. Plus, he's got some tips to help you get the most from the process and also from your design experience. And he's also got some really great ideas about building the right team generally for your reno or new build. Remember, to access the resources and the information that uh, are mentioned in this episode, you can head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 203. That's the numbers 203. And I've popped them all there for you. Now there's also a full PDF transcript that you can download. I actually don't usually transcribe the interviews because it's such a big job to do that compared to my solo episodes. They're longer, there's more involved, but we actually had some challenges with the internet stability in this interview. So I thought it would be helpful for you to have a version that you could read as a backup. Okay. So head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 203, the number's 203, and you can grab that free PDF transcript as well. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Get It Right podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. With over 25 years industry experience, I've worked with loads of homeowners like you to create family homes that work, feel great, and that you feel great in. I'm a wife and a mum to three kids who, thanks to our own renovations, they all learned to climb ladders before they walked. And I'm a registered architect who is passionate about you feeling informed, educated, and empowered as you design, build, or renovate your home. Now, if you're up for some frank and open conversation about the true nitty gritty of designing, building and renovating based on professional and personal experience across hundreds and hundreds of homes, well, you're in the right place. Undercover Architect is an award-winning online business and resource that began in mid-2014. And it's all about teaching you how to create a fantastic, feel-good family home. One that works for you now and into the future one that is sustainable and affordable and that helps you live a great lifestyle both in and beyond your home. So whether you're renovating or building, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget, consider Undercover Architect your secret ally in helping and teaching you how to get it right. Now before we jump into this podcast episode, a quick shout out to my sponsors. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by me and my free online workshop, Your Project Plan. I actually created this online workshop because I so regularly see a lot of time and money get wasted in renovation and building projects. And this happens largely because homeowners just don't know what they're supposed to be doing next. So that makes it really easy to make missteps, to take the wrong advice, or to actually skip important parts of your project that will catch you out down the track or worse, mean that you miss out on things that you really wanted in your home. Learn how to avoid serious and expensive mistakes, what to do next, whatever stage you're at in your project, and also access some great bonuses too by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. And that's project plan spelled P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. That's undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. Take the guesswork out of the next steps you need to take in your project journey and sign up today for free for this great online workshop. And now let's get on with the episode. Here we go. I am so looking forward to sharing this conversation with you because not only is it going to help you get a really great understanding of the pack process from the designer's point of view, I think it will also give you some really good ideas about how to approach your design process generally and what type of relationship you you should be seeking with your chosen designer so that you can get the best results for your project. 
We cover, we cover a lot of ground in this chat, Aaron and I, so it's going to be really great. Now, let me share some more information about Aaron. So Aaron Wales is the founder and owner of Green Coast Building Design, a residential design practice focused on delivering form, function, personality and lifestyle to residential housing. Their design and planning services include the design and construction management of new homes, renovations and additions to, ex to existing homes and interior design along with the design of functional pool and landscaping solutions as well. Their design studio is located in the Bayside suburb of Wynnum in Brisbane. And whilst the majority of the work that they do is in uh, southeast Queensland region, from the Gold Coast through the Sunshine Coast, they're also engaged by clients all over Australia to carry out design and planning commissions as well. Aaron is a qualified building designer. He's also a member of the Building Designers Association of Australia and he's registered with the Queensland Building Construction Commission as an open class building designer. And he's been working in the industry since 2007 and running his own business since 2009. In my conversation with Aaron, I really wanted to hear how from his firsthand experience of working with builders in the PAC or the Paiders consultant process, what tips he had and the insights he had to share with you so that you can understand more how this process might help you specifically. And you can also understand more about the details of it. So you can ultimately know what you're looking for when you're wanting to find professionals that you want to work with in this way. As I mentioned up front, we did have a few glitches with the internet stability in this chat. So you may hear a little bit of that in that in this interview I've tried to deal with it as much as my cat as I can and my beautiful sound producer has also tried to manage it so my sincere apologies that it's not up to the normal standards but I think it's a really worthwhile persevering and listening and remember that you can grab the full transcript of the chat as well and I really do hope that you enjoy this conversation with Aaron and you find it super helpful for your project let's jump in well, Aaron, it is fantastic to have you back on the podcast. It's been a long time, um, but yeah, I know that uh, what we're going to be talking about today is going to be awesome for homeowners to get an insight into something that I've spoken about uh, a lot inside the Undercover Architect community. I speak a lot about it into uh, to my members of my Home Method program. I really believe that um, this process of designers and builders working collaboratively together during the design phase, during pre-construction, um, is fundamental for changing so many of the pitfalls and hazards and, you know, disasters that we see happen in renovating and building for homeowners. And so I'm really looking forward to you sharing your firsthand experience because I know you've been doing this for a while now. Um, but before we dive in, perhaps could you just uh, share a little bit more about you and your business? You've, of course, changed business names since the last time we had on the podcast, had you on the podcast. So, yeah, just keen to learn a bit more about you and, and uh, you share some more about how your business has changed since the last time you were on. Sure. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been it's always a pleasure to talk and listen. Um, our business did change names. We went to Green Coast Design that really embodied more about what we wanted to achieve as a business, um, as a business model, but also for our clients. Uh, we we're really keen to uh, expand and uh, take away just that emphasis from my name that wasn't needed. Uh, so still got all the same values and goals and opportunities. Uh, Clients-wise, we're working with a lot of owner-occupier clients who want to design and build their own home. Essentially, they want a home that's designed for them um, and clients who are very aware that, for example, the project build model's not for them. So they're looking for a custom design. They're looking to be included. They want, they want ownership. So they want to be involved in a process that allows them to have a dialogue, someone to listen to. Uh, in saying that, we also do work for investors in respects of developers, developers who might be subdividing allotments, uh, feasibility studies, that sort of work. So our, our work varies from lots of different uh, homes, styles, design styles, lots of clients with different needs, aspirations, but mainly focused on residential. We've done, uh, since we last spoke, I think we've done one bar. We re-renovated a bar, which was fun. That's always enjoyable. Turned a really uh, poor space into a very functional and pleasing space, which was great. And it's great to see people using that um, we got a real sense of accomplishment when people come in and look at your space and say, wow, we're coming back here. We're bringing our friends. So no, it's really good. We're enjoying it. It's, um, it's good. Works, it works hard. We're working hard, but we're having fun. Yeah, that's fantastic. And yeah, I love the, the business name change. It's always really tricky when you start out on your own and you, 
you sort of choose names that are based on your own name. I know that when I named Undercover Architect, I was debating should it be Amelia Lay or should it be something else? Um, but I think that uh, when you can create a business name that's more about the kind of work that you do rather than, you know, you personally, then that can give people access to understanding more about uh, the where you can best help them. So, um, and I know that you've been very, very busy and you've had a lot on your plate work-wise um, with both new builds and renovations, um, which is awesome. And you as you you work with builders collaboratively using the PAC process or the Paters consultant process. So how many builders do you actually work with in this way? You know, and how long have you sort of been doing this, this process in your work? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, to answer it directly, there are builders who know we are doing the PAC process. I would suggest there's around three to four of them who identify with the PAC process. Now, what do I mean by identify with the PAC process? They understand that their role as a builder is also that as a, as a consultant. So they're offering design, construction, costings advice, and they're in tune, so to speak, with design program. However, all the builders we work with, the, the others who aren't essentially identifying with such, I would say they're by default actually doing the PAC process because we kind of push it. So they're coming along, but then starting to ask us questions too, like I'm being involved, like do you really need me at that meeting? Um, what, what, what's my role? What should I say? What happens if the client asks me a question about the design? Am I allowed to answer it? What, what do I do? And um, so we find that, look, directly, yeah, I think there's three or four that we directly work with who understand what the PAC process is, but the value it adds and what their role in that process is. But we we really have a tendency to try and, and not push it, but to offer that as an opportunity, um, no matter who the builder is, to get involved. Uh, we don't want to have the conversations uh, when they're on site. So we may as well start having those conversations while we're designing. Yeah, I think it's um, it's really interesting because there's still, I think, a lot of misunderstanding about the pack process, and yet there's a there's a recognition that having the builder involved during pre-construction during that design phase can be a really useful means of you ironing out a lot of the challenges that can happen during the build. And I find too that like you, there's lots of builders who really do, um, they they appreciate being involved uh, and are quite surprised that they get to be involved. Um, but I think when it gets formalised inside something like the pack process where they get brought on as a consultant, as a team member, then it enables a structure and a rigour that then they know that they can uh, actually step into that role and be involved. So I'm wondering if you can sort of step it through for us because I know that obviously you'll you'll have people directly contacting you right at the beginning of their project and saying, hey, I have this, you know, idea, I want to do a renovation or a new build, can we talk to you as a designer, let's do this. And then you would probably also have builders because a lot of homeowners will contact a builder first when they might be thinking about a renovation or new build and that builder then might get in, in touch with you if they know that they want to work with you using the pack process and they want to get you on board as a designer, you know, to be the that they've seen that you as a designer are probably a good fit for that homeowner and so then it's a case of you sort of meeting that homeowner. So how do you navigate those initial kind of steps of the process when a client gets in touch with you and says, yep, this is what I'm doing? How do you sort of take them through and propose the pack process to them or figure out what's going to be the right fit for the way that they're working? Yeah, so essentially as, as your listeners will know, good design starts with design brief because we, I know that you're a big advocate of that. So when we get contact from a client, whether that client comes through, say, a builder or they've found us through a Google search or our social media channels or word of mouth, we direct that client to download our design brief questionnaire. Now, that design brief questionnaire is specifically created to establish their lifestyle, what they're seeking to achieve. It allows us to understand their intent what they want to achieve with their project, their aspirations, their risk items, et cetera, et cetera. So once we've got that data, we'll meet and then we'll sit down and we'll talk to them about the positives and some of the concerns you can have through the design and construction journey. One of those uh, conversations is about the pack process. So often we'll ask clients, had they intended to take their project to tender or 
would they like to do a negotiated contract or use a builder as a consultant through design journey? Generally at that point right there, I get the question, what, what's the paid as a consultant process? What do you mean? And what do you think I should do? Okay. So what we find ourselves doing is explaining the differences between traditional tendering, the risks associated with tendering, okay, and then also the positives of the pack process and how that builder will add value. Okay. And so as we go through that, then the client will have an appreciation of why we're building a project team. So then it transforms from not just a discussion about a builder, but for example, the structural engineer, who's the right town planner that's appropriate for this particular project. So what we find is no matter where we're getting client inquiry from or who they are, we'll, we'll aim to establish a design brief, work out what they're seeking to achieve, introduce them to consultants, and then also ask them an interesting question about how time poor they are. Now, you might think, well, what's that got to do with the paid as consultant process? But many of our clients are exceptionally busy. So we ask them, are they available to make the decisions such as uh, all the ones where we can't even start with them, there's so many, but we ask them to discuss or consider, are they available to go through all these unknowns, interview builders, et cetera, check that that builder's got the right tendering documents, et cetera, et cetera. And when they say no, we don't have the time nor the knowledge. We say, well, that's where a builder comes involved. That's where we're creating a project team so that that project team can be managed by uh, a collaborative set of individuals who add value to the project. Um, so often, and I think we'll, we'll talk about this more soon, but often then the questions come out, but hang on, am I locked into a building contract? And that's probably the first and biggest question I get. And so I, I'm constantly saying to clients, you have not signed a building contract. This is not trying to get you signed up to something. That's the difference. That's what tendering would do. Tender price would come in, you would sign it and agree on it and off you go. Then generally what happens is people start digging into what's included and not included. Uh, whereas the paid as a consultant process allows you to have that dialogue. It allows you to have conversations. It allows you to go, uh, that's not working for me. I think we can do better. Or, wow, I'm super surprised. That is something I didn't consider. I'm really valuing that. It, it's great. Does that, how does that, does that sound good? Yeah, that's no, that's a really good um, explanation. And I think that it is, it's, I think because when you see um, the project home industry, which is where you do, you'd pay a deposit, you pick your floor plan, you pay a deposit and you sign a contract. And then it's this incremental commitment process of you pay, you know, for your soil test and you pay for, you know, the next sort of phase of consultants and those kinds of things. And you're doing that all inside a contract so that basically any change, any flex to your selections, to that process will come through as a variation to that contract. So you can understand why homeowners think, gosh, if you're going to get a builder involved now, am I going to be committing to who I'm building with long term and I'm not sure I'm ready to make that decision? Whereas legally that's actually not possible and it needs to be inside a preliminary agreement. And it it actually it it works really well being inside a preliminary agreement because it means that you've got a really defined scope of what is inside that agreement, what's not inside that agreement. It means too that you've got scope to uh, not proceed with them for construction if you so choose, which I think gives a lot of homeowners a sense of relief um, and helps them know that this isn't, they're not having to make that decision yet. Um, and the whole benefit of the PAC process is that you do get to test is the builder who they say they are, you know. I can do all the checks that I possibly want to, but I still don't know for certain is this builder just giving me a song and dance or are they actually who they say they are. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't find out is the builder who they say they are until they've signed a building contract with them, which is then very difficult to get yourself out of, whereas the PAC process gives you the opportunity to do that inside a preliminary agreement, which can be far easier to terminate. So, it's, you know, it's quite an interesting process. And I think um, I think you being at the coalface of having that initial conversation with a homeowner and then proposing something which 
on paper solves a lot of the dramas and issues that we know, but it's still a very different process and something that they'll be grappling to relate to something they already know and then potentially bringing the objections of what they've seen go wrong in those processes can be tricky. So I, I can imagine that you've got a very, um, yeah, very good understanding of some of those objections. What other, what other concerns do you hear from homeowners when they think, gosh, if I'm going to commit to a builder now, bring them in on the design process, how am I going to know, you know, what, what, uh, what kinds of questions do you also see them come up with? Yeah, so generally, like I said earlier, the first one we we always get is, hang on, am I signing a building contract? So that's your first objection. Come query. Um, the client's not saying that from an offensive point of view either. They, they, they're just wanting to learn more. Um, the next question is traditionally always the same. Which builder? You must have builders that you work with regularly, so you tell me which builder, okay? Now, from a designer's point of view, um, we encourage people to interview us to see if we're the right fit for the client. Um, we encourage them to seek other quotes and scopes of works to see how others work. Um, it really helps the client educate themselves on how valuable our process is. So we say the exact same thing when it comes to a builder. Have a chat to a few builders. Ask them, do they work collaboratively with designers? How do they work? Let the builder demonstrate to you, the client, how they work. So don't ask a question by answering it is essentially the guide we try to help our clients with. So often we'll say, well, let's introduce you to a couple of builders um, and we'll direct them to a couple and say, go do you know a bit of an internet search on them, have a look at the quality of the projects they're doing um, and we'll, we'll meet them together. Let's arrange an appointment. Um, let's get them out and you can start to see the value add that these builders have got. That then allows the homeowner to settle straight away. The other big lesson learned there is that you're not seen as someone who's pushing a, a secret agenda or that you've got a desire for only one person to get the job because then the next question that can come up is, but hang on, does that builder pay you? Okay. So in other words, who do you work for? Uh, and at that point, you generally say, no, I work for you, the client. You're paying me directly, so I represent everything to do with the design, the coordination of engineering and the finishes of the home. I'm your eyes and ears through this design process. The builder is a consultant. You'll pay them directly. So I'm not uh, working for the builder. There will be times where we challenge each other's <laughs> ideas. Now, it's not uncommon for a designer to have an argument with a builder, let's be honest, um, and vice versa. It's not uncommon for a builder to turn around and say, uh, there's no such thing as skyhooks, guys. Um, it's, it's not going to work, okay? So the value add for the client is that you're getting two people, two entities uh, that are coming towards the same objective. And that's the key is that you establish, as we call it, project is king. And we establish that how do we benefit the project? So what's that builder going to do to benefit that project? And what's interesting, Amelia, is that we've had clients interview builders, right? And they've come out and they've said, okay, I've got to pay the builder for this time. Yes, you do. The builder can't afford to do it for free. Um, just like we pay every consultant for their time and professional expertise. But what generally happens is they start to understand that the builder's role becomes so valuable. And then we've had or situations develop where some builders said, no, we don't charge for that time. And the clients generally turn around and say, yeah, but what can I expect to get if they're not charging for that time? Because the client's appreciating now that, hang on, this, this design journey could be six, nine months. So I'm going to get to know this individual for a long time. I'm going to see how they communicate. We're going to get to know each other. We're probably going to have, you know, a glass of wine together at some point. We're going to work together. So <laughs> it's really interesting that we've, we've been involved in situations where the builder says, no, no, you just come back to me with everything done and I'll quote. And the client has chosen not to go down that avenue and pay a builder to work with us through the design process. So, the common objections is, who do you work for, me or the builder? Have I signed a building contract? Am I locked into anything? Um, who drives the process? 
you know, who is the builder now the lead consultant or are you the lead consultant? Okay. We generally have a bit of a guide. It's not a rule, but it's a guide that the designer is the lead consultant through the design process. So they're, they're spending the majority of the time on the project. Now, what do I mean by lead? I'm not saying they are the dictator. They are just literally coordinating it. They are leading it. So therefore, a builder can't price something until something's designed. That's obvious. But once the designer has designed a product, a building, a home, a renovation, whatever the case may be, the builder needs to have opportunity to say, hey, can I add some value there? Um, so for that to happen, you have to meet. You have to discuss concept sketches. You have to discuss materials. Uh, recently, a builder and I uh, just yesterday worked through a completely different reframing solution for a particular home. Now, the engineer had a bucket load of steel in this design that we'd created. And it was just it was just simply unaffordable. At the way it was designed and the way we were trying to achieve something, we just weren't going to get the right result. So we troubleshooted it. We came through it. That's the value add. And that's where the builder really makes a huge difference. But to do that, someone's got to promote the journey. Um, so while we're in the design process, yeah, we generally see designers taking on that role. But as soon as they sign the contract, well, everything changes. So unless you're an owner's representative or you're an architect working under the Institute of Architects contract, um, and you're this superintendent, for example, there's a whole different dynamic of how that end of the world runs. But in general, the builder will run the construction program, your designer runs the design program. Yeah, that was a fantastic run through. Thank you for explaining that because I think that that really highlights you know, we talk a lot about it, particularly with our members inside Live Life Build, that, you know, this is actually three team members. The client is a team member as much as the builder and the designer are. The three of you all have things to contribute. The client is driving the agenda. They're the ones that, you know, set the parameters. This is their project. It only, you know, you're only there because they're the ones wanting to do this. And so, um, but that the, yeah, oftentimes I think we're so used to a hierarchical arrangement that there's this expectation that somebody's going to be in charge and be the one that makes the final decision and those kinds of things. At the end of the day, the client is the one that gets to make the final choice on things, but is operating with the information and the advice of the experts and the professionals that they've brought into their team. And so I see, yeah, I see such huge benefit. That roof example that you've just explained, I can imagine is one of the myriad of opportunities that you get because you've got those industry heads sitting together going, okay, this isn't, you know, this isn't meeting the agenda that we have for the client. So, you know, that the client has established in terms of their brief and their budget, what can we do to explore and then work with the other team members to deliver this result? And it's funny, every time I speak to a homeowner who's had a great experience with building and renovating the, and you ask them why, you know, nine times out of 10, the first response is I just got the right team on board, you know, and I got them, we were all able to work together really, really well. Absolutely. And yeah. the team just makes such a big difference. So, um, yeah, so thank you for taking us through those objections. I know that another one will be um, that you might get questions about is how do I know that the builder's not just going to price the project exactly to the budget that I've set? How am I, How are you going to help me know that I'm getting value for money, that the builder's not just basically taking the mickey and um, that the two of you aren't in cahoots about, you know, having separate conversations about, you know, well, let's just show them this design because that's going to be cheaper for you to build and, you know, we can still charge them this and that kind of stuff. How do you deal with, they probably don't say all of those things, but I know that that will be going on in their head. How do you deal with that kind of um, concern? Yeah, um, I think clients they do exactly what you said. They do say all those things. They don't always articulate those, but they do, they genuinely have those conversations. And look, costings, the costings component of the pack process and the actual lump sum contract or the let's call it the money is often the most discussed aspect of a payers consultant process so how do we give the clients confidence well it comes back to one of our original questions that are asked and that is you haven't signed a building contract so you're not locked into anything because you're paying a builder as a consultant you're using their expertise not just to price the project. So while price is important 
is the only factor. What we're doing is we're paying a to, to mitigate delays in programming, um, efficiency of product and material. Can we substitute, get the same result, still achieve the design intent? Okay, so the whole world of information the builder's supplying. But once again, because that builder's being paid as a consultant and to offer that knowledge, the client is well within their right to use the services of a quantity surveyor or the services of another builder, if they choose so, to price that project. Now, one of those that work with regularly in the consultant process actually will say, look, if, if you want to go and get another quote, that's more than happy for you to do that, please. Can we just compare the scope of works and detail that we've got in our proposal versus the upscope of works in detail you've gone and got priced? Nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten, they never align. Okay. So what it allows the builder to do is to explain where the value is. And that way the clients educated themselves. So although it's easily spoken how I've just articulated such. It often comes with a bit of emotion. It often comes with a uh, few frustrations, like how do I test the price? Why is it over budget? Um, or that costs too much. Why does that cost so much? Ask the builder. Spend the time talking to the builder about those components. Don't have a conversation with yourself. And so that's the, the dialogue we try to give clients. If, if you've got a question about the cost components, you've paid a consultant to demonstrate something. So ask them how they're demonstrating it. Why is that cost that much? Okay. Uh, recently, just troubleshooting a design, we specified a certain type of finish for concrete in a polished concrete slab. Now, with a quick overlook of the design intent, we realized we could save approximately four or $500 a meter purely by changing how we set the floor structure up. Now, that reduced that component drastically. Why did it reduce? Because the soil is rubbish. Now, as we've worked through the preliminary engineering and troubleshooted those aspects, we've, we've not saved thousands, we've saved tens of thousands. Uh, what's my point? Often a client will look just at the final figure, but not look at all the money we've saved along the journey, okay? So if we save X amount of dollars on the journey, we don't generally have a ledger that says, look how much money I've saved you. Um, we're doing it because we want to see the house built. But I guarantee you that if we went through the design process or the paid as a consultant process with the ledger and said, look at all the cost savings we've introduced along the journey, let's tally them up and then let's look at the finished product, it would be a very interesting accounting summary. Now, I can guarantee you I'm not going to do that because I'm not the right person for it. Someone else can do that. The point is simple. You're not locked into a building contract. If you feel the need that that builder is not giving you the right feel, if you feel that not everything's forthcoming in communication, if you feel that it hasn't been put on paper, if you can't see a clear scope of works for each trade component, go get a check price. Or more, more appropriately, talk to that builder first about where they're lacking, just like you would with the designer. If the designer has fulfilled an obligation or met a deliverable, you would ask them to meet such Talk with the builder, go through it, work through the problem. If you still don't have the right feeling, well, you've learned a very valuable lesson. That builder is not the right builder for you, okay? Um, but to keep it simple, you're not locked into a contract. So you have opportunity to check the price. A good builder with a good building methodology and good business model, uh, they're not going to be offended if you check the price because they're confident in everything they've done and it's quite interesting actually we we do get clients who are um they'll actually ask us oh hang on i don't want to upset i don't want to upset anyone um if, but i really want to get another price i've heard of you know i do building.com down the road and um i want to get a price off them because my neighbors had a great experience with them can i use them of course you can it's your prerogative um Many designers will have their worked, uh, their designs uh, cross-referenced or checked by other designers. That's been a common practice in architecture and design for 
eons of time that uh, another designer might come and pass their eye over it. An old architect I used to work with used to say that, oh, that designer's got a bad pen. There's a nice way of saying that um, they weren't the greatest of designers. Um, and so it was just a nice way of saying we could do better. Um, and a client has that opportunity. So in simple terms, you are going to discuss costs. You are going to discuss the budget. Through the paid as a consultant process, the cost of your build is going to go above your desired spend and it's going to come below your design spend. It will go up and down as we tailor everything we can get and achieve for your design solution. Now, the important thing to remember there as a homeowner is your design brief will need to change. Now, why do I say that? Well, you'll either have to spend more money, which means your brief has changed, or you'll have to reduce your scope of works. So it's just understanding which one you feel more comfortable with. Uh, so what we say to clients is you're not locked in. It's not up to us as a designer to tell you what you see value in. We'll educate you on the costs. The builder will demonstrate those costs. You can then choose where to invest your money, okay? Um, which then gives clients the confidence that they're in control because they're part of the consultant team. You see, if they're not feeling like they have options, if they feel that they're corralled, if they feel that suddenly everything I wanted is not achievable, well, the simple fact of the matter is it wasn't achievable at any point. And what you've done is you've approved that you can't meet that design brief and it's been demonstrated. So where do we go from there? Well, we change the brief. We change the scope. Um, it's not possible. So yeah, I think the, uh, like I could talk about this all day, um, but really just ask your builder, talk to them, communicate and ask questions. Why is this so expensive? Can we do better? How can we make this more efficient? Uh, where are the costs? Is the designer designing unrealistic expectations? Do we have three meter glazing suites? Why, do, why are they costing $50,000 per door? Um, why is that expensive? Well, we import them from overseas. That's why. Um, so they're, they're all the questions you can ask, but the more you ask, the more answers you'll get. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. I, I get lots of homeowners saying to me, you know, is it okay for me to talk to the builder or designer about this? Is it, um, they feel quite nervous that they're going to offend somebody, that they're going to ask a stupid question, that um, they're going to be seen as undermining them if they're checking up on them and those kinds of things. I think that what is far worse is when a homeowner doesn't ask questions. They make a bunch of assumptions based on conversations they're having with well-meaning friends at a barbecue on a weekend and then they go and just give their drawings to somebody else to, to cast their eyes over and then come back with all this um, pent-up ammunition and quite a lot of anger and frustration that's been fueled by all of these behind-the-scenes conversations and then say to their team that they've been working with, I just found this out and you've been lying to us and, you know, this kind of stuff. Whereas if they could instead, mm. like if you don't feel mm. you can speak openly and frankly with your team in a really collaborative, communicative way, you're not with working with the right team. And if you don't feel like you have permission to ask silly questions, you're again, not working with the right team. Like the right team will say there is no such thing as a silly question. The right team will say, we're the ones in the industry. It's our job to help you feel confident, comfortable, supported. So bring everything to the table. You know, let's have these investigations. Now saying that though, obviously this isn't about there just being this bottomless pit of endless work where they get to explore 295 um, different versions of the deck arrangement in order to test all the price and those kinds of things. So can you talk through, because as a designer, I can imagine that there's a fair few things that you need to be aware of in your role, the fact that you're directly commissioned by the client, that you you this is about you bringing your own expertise and working collaboratively with the team. How do you navigate what you need to do in terms of dealing with confusion that there might be around what the pack process actually means in terms of a homeowner's access to all of the support and help and also how you make sure you keep yourself accountable to your agreement with your client separate to your relationship with the builder and how that can all work. Yeah, excellent question. Um, so from a designer's point of view, you're constantly reminding, you're going back, well, in our case, we'll go back to our deliverables and our scope of works that we've agreed in our fee proposal with our client. 
Okay. We also have set agendas for each uh, scheduled meeting for our design process. So from concept, preliminary, design, development, construction, documentation. They're set agendas. We know what we need to discuss. And it, it's a, like a roadmap. So it's a little roadmap that keeps us as designers accountable to ourselves. So that's how we choose to do that. Those design workshops, deliverables are connected to the, our original agreement with our client. So our client can see that we're delivering, okay? When it comes to confusion about the pack process, it probably stems around that because I've got a builder and a designer and they're working collaboratively together, everything I want on my design brief is achievable. Suddenly it becomes achievable um, because they're going to find a way that no one else in the world can find and they will discover the secret. That's the confusion point. It's not the case. You've employed a designer and a builder to design and cost and offer construction solutions to get the most appropriate outcome for your project, taking into consideration site constraints, local government regulations, engineering, the project spend, the gross maximum spend, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So you're paying them to give you the most appropriate result. Now that most appropriate result may not be the result you felt or had anticipated or were expecting. Now, this is where the confusion can come in is that that, that builder and designer will rework the whole process. So in other words, the designer will go through and re-sketch out alternate solutions, alternate documentation and test the process again. No, don't like it, do it again. Well, that's not, that's not how the process works. So what we do as designers is we will rely on the builder's costings input through each phase of the design process. So at concept design, we're talking hand sketches, you know, butter paper, Concept design, we're using square meterage rates, um, the knowledge we've got from past projects, the site conditions, current industry costings to form a guide to form up the design. From there, we go to preliminary design where we do the same thing again. We're using realistic rates, current projects, industry costings. When we get to design development, we start to put in the nuts and bolts. We really start to, you know, we might send out uh, window and door schedule, for example, because the glazing the glazing suites are extensive. So we just want to lock down that trade a bit more. If during that process, the builder's advice jumps from say X to X plus plus plus, and a change in scope is now needed, we then charge additional fees for that change. Now, many clients might go, well, hang on, why, how do you do that? And why do you do that? Well, the reason we do that is we're not in control of the costs. A designer is doing everything, a designer architect, they're doing everything they can to design your product in accordance with a gross maximum spend or desired budget. But as the construction industry leaps forward, as we have changes in costs for labor, materials, shortages of materials, et cetera, complexity of safety issues, safety and design, and the impact of such. Uh, insurance premiums go up. There's a range of different things that can affect the cost. It's not the designer's uh, mistake or the designer's lack of due diligence that those industry goalposts have then been moved forward and we can't now meet them. So for example, over a six to nine month design process or the last six to nine months, we've seen prices go through the roof. So what was achievable in a budget is no longer achievable. So we advise our clients of such and changes need to be made. So ultimately what will happen is a designer will rely on the builder to provide up-to-date costings based on their designs to educate the client on where their money can and can't be spent. If a change in scope is needed, there will be a modest or small uh, additional costs to be able to redirect that project. The key is setting realistic project cost guides at concept design. If you get it wrong at concept design, you're gonna get it wrong through every remaining phase of the design process. And so from a builder and a designer's point of view, you need to really get a construction methodology. So we get the soils test up front, and I'm, I'm talking about technical details, but we get the soils test up front really early in the design process 
Because if that soil is rubbish, we know we've got a bucket load more concrete and steel. So therefore we'll start allowing uh, far more cost for the foundations, okay? If the client's design brief is reading, you know, mid-century or industrial and they want to polish concrete slab and it's suspended, we know that's going to cost X amount of dollars to achieve, okay? So you, it's good to have a design and construction methodology that the entire team is aware of in the concept design. That will allow the builder to say a realistic square meterage rate for your home. Uh, it could be 2,000 a square metre. It could be 6,000 a square metre. But let's use that as a design guide and let's have a look at this project over here. We built that six months ago. It's finished. It costs 5,500 a square metre for that level of finish. We'll use that as a guide, add in some contingency for price rises and complexities, unknowns, and that's our design guide. If that rate then jumps to 8,000, and I'm using big figures just for argument's sake, but if that rate was to jump and your designer needs to change scope or the client then elects not to spend that and drastically reduce the scope of works, well then naturally like any consultant or any trade, you've changed the goalposts. So there's additional fees that help designers be able to run a profitable business and a sustainable business um, and then keep working for the benefit of their client. Yeah, no, that was a great explanation. I In think a nutshell. That, yeah, no, I think I think this is the thing, like, you know, when I was um, working through and thinking about this and what I think was, you know, what I know that is important for homeowners to know about the PAC process, you're right, there can be this feeling of, well, I'm going to enter a process with two team members whose goal is to make sure I get what I want for what I want to pay for it. Um, but you're still entering the process like most homeowners where your brief and your budget are not going to be aligned. My experience is that most people's budget is 50 to 75% of where their brief is. The benefit of having the builder and designer on board together from the outset is that you get to know very, very early in your process how misaligned your brief and your budget is um, and get that get that framework right from the start. Instead, what a lot of homeowners do is they would walk into a relationship with a designer or an architect who says, okay, well, that's your brief, that's your budget. We're working on a square metre rate of 1800 bucks a square metre. They haven't built anything in the last 12 months in that time. That $1,800 a square metre has actually become $2,600 a square metre. And this homeowner then goes about designing a 400 square metre home, which then has you know, when there's a that big a difference per square metre is then a massive big difference to the pro total price of the project. So, and then the thing is that they're often then experiencing that change in fees, that change in scope and all of that reworking of the design after they've done their approvals, their construction drawings and have a lot more work plus other consultants work to redo to get back to, you know, ready for construction. Whereas at least with this, there can be changes of scope. It's a much more incremental process and it enables you to have that happen in real time. I Like for anyone who is tuning into this, please understand it is just as frustrating for us in the industry to see prices moving at the rate that they are and not be giving not being in a position to give homeowners certainty that in nine months' time your project will cost X because it's just not physically possible at the moment. And it generally, is I mean, inside the custom design building renovation industry, price rises come across the in email inboxes of most builders every three months. So, you know, a lot of times builders are making a call about whether they're going to absorb those price rises for a 12-month period and then make that change, in, you know, at once a year to then create that process happening the whole way through, you know, to be able to then make that happen as they roll through. So I think that it's really uh, it's so hard because you want to be able to say to a homeowner, yeah, let's dive in, let's do this, let, we can make this work and and then yet you know that it's just not feasible with how we see price rises happening in the industry, even at the best of times. Yeah, and recently we've had a couple of clients who we've, and we've supported them in their decision is they've just asked us to design and and prepare a set of preliminary design drawings so they can get a quote from a builder knowing that that's their ideal or their uh, their target, they know that it's going to be over budget, okay? They know it's going to cost, but they want to educate themselves on how much over that cost is. Um, and so we we just really encourage homeowners, if 
if you've got your heart set on something and you want to know how much it costs, well, we can demonstrate that to you. But just here's some simple math. That style of product will cost X. Are you happy for us to continue developing this design, knowing that you'll have to reduce the level of finish, the scope of works, et cetera, not have your pool, you know, you name it. Um, and some clients are happy to do that. And once again, it comes back to the communication. Um, I've learned that some clients have you know, a different uh, financial model personally. And so they're quite happy to maybe personally make adjustments elsewhere in their life, personal life. And next minute, the house is being built. So unless you test the idea, you're not going to know how much it's cost. And that's that's where the builder comes in because they're testing it with you as you design it. Otherwise, as we used to say together, you're boxing at shadows. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than in a design process of people saying, oh, yeah, but what are you for? Yeah, but that'll cost too much. Yeah, but how much? Oh, I don't know how much. Well, how can I make a decision if I don't know how much? And that's where you get the collaboration going. And that those questions can be answered, which is good. A good result for the client, they're not going to wake up in bed one morning and go, wow, I really wish I'd tested this better. They're going to say, we exhausted it, we know what we could afford, what we wanted to invest, and we've got the best outcome. Yeah, it's really interesting that whole dynamic that can happen around money because um, I, you know, I often say that uh, people will think, well, what people think is expensive is really a personal choice. You can't really work out what uh, something is worth to you until you sort of see a price tag put against it. So I have people who say to me, I definitely want X, Y, and Z. And then you say to them, well, that's going to be $80,000. And they're like, oh, no, I don't want it that badly. And it's this whole kind of, you know, any design process is an ordering of priorities. It's an ordering of you figuring out what is most valuable to you, what you're willing to invest in the most, and what that's going to mean for the future lifestyle that you're envisaging in your home. And so this process definitely allows the exploration of that. I also have had that experience too, where I've had homeowners approach me and say, you know, we want to do, we want to renovate and we want to do this, 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 this. And there's this big list of things. And as a designer, you'll go, oh my gosh, like they've said that they've only got this amount of money. They can't do anywhere near that amount of work. And your very first conversation with them right out of the gate is, I'm really sorry to tell you this, uh, but what your budget is, is so far off what your brief is. So if you, you know, if you want to meet your budget, we're going to have to, we can probably only do this. And then they're like, well, what do you actually think that our thing would cost? And we like, well, it's probably going to be an extra $200,000. And, and they're like, oh, okay. And then they go away and they come back two months later. Yep. Okay. We're good to go on that. We've reorganized things. And we've, you know, because what they really wanted was the outcome. They were able to figure out how to get the extra cash. Not everybody is like that, but it's like you say, until you test it and until a homeowner actually can make that call for themselves, you never really know. I mean, you and I have worked on projects where a homeowner said they only had X budget. During construction, they then went and spent all of this extra money and they ended up creating a project that was another 50% on top of what they told us their budget was. So it's, you know, the money conversation, the more open and, and frank and communicative and transparent you can be around your money, I have I find that the most successful relationships that I've had inside projects is where homeowners have actually been really, really honest about, you know, we have this inheritance. We don't want to tap into it because that's our future holiday family fund, retirement fund. But we know that if it's going to make this bigger difference to our home, then we think about spending it because we know that then we'd make these decisions about our future. So, you know, it's that like you can have that level of intimacy in terms of your conversations with your clients, with your with clients and between that team. If you've chosen the right team that you know you can trust that you've done your homework about the people that you're bringing on board and then they use this pack process to test and check that they are who they say they are, then you can have that level of honesty and intimacy. So now you've crammed loads of um, information into this chat, which has been so helpful. I'm just wondering if you have any final tips for any homeowners that are considering the pack process for them to be aware of, particularly from your designer's point of view. Roles and responsibilities. Establish that fairly early in the design process and your builder designer need to understand their roles and responsibilities. Um, and then the project goals, as we say, projects king. So identify what the project brief is, share the brief with the builder, but let the builder know what the brief is. He's got to know. He, he may see something you've missed. Um, so share the brief, set roles and responsibilities for homeowners. 
touching on the the budget recently, we had another and hundred percent respect them. Very hesitant to tell the builder and myself their budget, so they nominated a budget, but basically admitted that that wasn't the whole budget. And I said, well, look, that's fine, but just remember. I may design your home completely differently if there's another chunk of money there that you're going to spend. So to ensure that you're going to get the best value, I really need to know what that is. And they go, yeah, but you can ex- you can understand our apprehension. I said, absolutely, and we respect that. So let's come at it from a different a different point of view. Let's design what you want. We'll cost it, and you can tell us if you'd like to spend the money. So be adaptable. So if you, as a builder and a designer and a client, come up with a strategy, record the strategy, agree that that's the project methodology, stick to it. If it has to change in the future, create a new project methodology. I find sometimes there's a tendency to sit back and say, no, I have to have X no matter what the consequences are, because I've, I've landlocked myself. I've, I just can't think laterally. Um, and so my advice would be take a step back, see what your goals are. Don't be afraid to redo that during the design process. We have had circumstances where clients have we've designed quite a major renovation for them. They've looked at it, decided that's not the people they want to be, <laughs> um, they actually didn't need that. They thought they did. They loved it. Did they have the money? Yes. But did they want it? No. Scale the design right back. So complete new set of documents. But they're happy. That's what they wanted. So come back, test your own ideas, make sure the builder, the designer have the same brief. Project is king. Um, and let the clients educate you, designer and builder. It's the client's job to educate you on what they see value in. Don't tell them they have to have X. That's the client's role. They set the brief. We just help them refine it and achieve it. Um, that that'd be my comments and enjoy it. You don't, there's so much. I said to a, a future client once um, who happened to be a scientist, actually, lovely person. I said, building's not an exact science. And they laughed and they said, but I'm a scientist. I, I love exact science. That's not the construction industry. It's not that. When you're renovating a home, you have to weave your way through it. Now, the only way to do that, um, a lot of people have a project goal. You need to have project objectives. Goals aren't always achievable. Something can happen. But if you have a purpose, a project objective or a project purpose, you will find a way around that roadblock and you will achieve what you want. But it will be a different uh, solution to perhaps the one you originally intended. So uh, as you can tell, we're quite passionate about it. We love to see buildings built, okay? And if every designer, architect, client out there had their buildings built, the landscape around us would look a lot different. We would see some fantastic buildings out there that change people's lives. It changes how you breathe. It changes everything about how you feel the sun, how you get up in the morning, um, and that's why design matters. So I'd come back to keeping it fun, keep it simple, test your ideas, get the communication out there. If you don't feel that the team's right for you at the start, well, some changes need to be made. <laughs> but have fun and enjoy. Aaron, that is just a fantastic note to end on. I think that um, you've just crammed so much helpful information and insight into the pack process from the designer's point of view into our conversation. Thank you so much for your time and for giving so generously here to the Undercover Architect community. I really, really appreciate it. No problems. It's a pleasure. And thanks, Meals, for you're doing an amazing job of keeping the industry honest. So keep going. It's just fantastic. Thanks, Aaron. Okay, so we fit a lot into that chat, didn't we? My gosh, we covered some ground. I really do hope that you found that super helpful and that it gives you an insight into how the pack process can work during the design phase and also how the role of both the builder and the designer can work through that process. Plus, I hope that we cleared up some of the confusion that can occur and also helped answer questions that you might have had about how this process could be navigated in any project. And also perhaps helped you see some pathways through some of the concerns that you may have about using the PAC process on your project as well. 
Now, in the next episode, we're going to continue our series. We're going to be learning more about the pack process from the builder's point of view. So be sure to tune into that. It's going to be a really awesome and complimentary set of information to this episode. Now, remember, you'll find links to get in touch with Aaron and Green Coast Building Design, other resources as well that have been mentioned in this episode. And I've also got a free transcript that you can download as a PDF of our conversation. And you can grab all of that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 203. And that's the numbers 203. Please share this podcast episode with family, friends, colleagues, even strangers, basically anyone that you know it may help so that we can get this information and knowledge into the ears and hands of as many homeowners as possible and improve their experience of designing, building and renovating their family homes. I love hearing the stories of those who found this podcast thanks to the generosity of another listener. It is just awesome. Now, if you haven't left a review on the Undercover Architect podcast, especially if you listen on iTunes, I would be so grateful if you please could. It really makes a difference in enabling this podcast to reach others that it can help. And it also ensures that I can continue to grow the podcast and get amazing guests and information on here as well. Be sure to tune in for our next episode, which lands each Tuesday morning to access helpful information and education in your project journey so that you can get it right as you design, build or renovate your family home. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Bye.